Hello, welcome to our worship facility podcast, Service Planning, Creating Incredible Services 52 Times a Year with Ben Stapley. I'm Gene Lass, editor of Worship Facility. Gene, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here at the Expo. A quick background for myself, I've been in church ministry for about 20 years. I've been serving uh, as the executive on the executive team for multiple megasite churches. I got a chance to serve as the executive pastor at the Life Christian Church in New Jersey right now, so forgive me for being from Jersey, but it's <laughs> glad to be with you guys down here in Dallas today. I used to live in New Jersey. I was in Marlton, right by Cherry Hill. It's a great area. I have no idea where that is, but I'll shake my head and pretend it's I the do. the middle part, the nice part. The good part. <laughs> the, the, the part where the Sopranos don't live. I got you. I'm yeah. tracking. I'm tracking. <laughs> so you're looking at uh, worship planning and service planning. You've got the more contemporary ones, and then you have the traditional ones, a little bit more conservative versus more progressive. Um, do you go with the character of the church to kind of figure out how to work, work that out, or do you blend them? Uh, how do you do that? Great question. Even before we, we get to the how, let me rewind for one second and jump to the why. So why are we trying to create incredible services, dynamic services, creative services? So, you know, before we get to the how, let's see the why. Two quick things. First of all, we serve a creative God. In the beginning, God created. The first thing he did, didn't heal, he didn't save, he didn't do any of those wonderful things. We see, first thing he did was create. We serve a creative God. You can look through the story and see that come up again and again. The first person who was indwelt with the Holy Spirit was a creative, someone who was tasked to making the tabernacle. So we see that again and again. We serve a creative God. And the second reason is if we serve a creative God, well, then our service and the way we reflect him should demonstrate that. Uh, We serve a truthful God, and so we make sure our messages are theologically sound. We do that very well. Uh, We serve a forgiving God, and so we welcome people from all walks of life and say, hey, uh, ground's level at the foot of the cross. We serve a creative God. Sometimes we forget that in our service experiences. They lack that creativity of who we are worshiping. So at the end of the day, they should reflect that. Now to the how. When it comes to the how, two camps, usually most churches are on one side. They're either more traditional and they're looking to, hey, how do we can maybe pull in some contemporary elements? Or they're more contemporary, probably like a lot of people here at the expo. And they're thinking, maybe I should dip into that traditional well once in a while. Um, or you may be the worst um, scenario where you're a blended service and you're trying to do both at the same time and you're making nobody happy because it's too loud for some people and it's not enough hymns for other people. So when it comes to those who are, let's start with the traditional. If you're in a traditional church, a couple of quick ways to do that. Um, one of the ways would be uh, through video. We are here at a conference where we're talking about how video can be involved. Uh, think the cathedrals when they wanted to tell a story to their audience and they wanted to communicate to an illiterate people, they illustrated the stations of the cross with their stained glass windows. Our modern stained glass windows are videos. It's our projectors, it's our screens, it's our LED walls. The problem is most times we use all this technology to put up sermon points. Those walls can be used to so much more to leverage creativity and showcasing who God is. So, Think video and all the different facets in which you can do it. Sermon videos, motion backgrounds, um, illustrations. When someone's talking, whenever I hear a pastor teaching and talking about the family, I want to see them. Whatever they say, if it's visual, we should showcase it. So video, maximizing video is a great way for traditional churches. One of the ways to do it. A couple other ways, um, some more modern ways. We're here as well. Uh, Drama would be a great way to do that. Spoken word, um, monologues. 
uh, scenes, skits uh, would be a great way to do that. Dance would be a great way to do that as well. Um, and then I, I always like to do, incorporate photography as much as I can into that. Those are a couple of different ways that uh, uh, traditional churches can leverage some more contemporary elements. Now let me flip the script. This is probably more for us who are here at the conference. We're probably more in that contemporary camp. We're coming to an expo about church facilities. We're looking at a room full behind us with million dollars worth of gear. Okay, that's great. We, we are probably all well leveraging that content. Question I have is, how do we dip into the well of traditions? Low-hanging fruit here for us. A couple of ways. First of all, I, I like to recite the creeds. Um, a lot of churches don't go back to the creeds. You know, we have the, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, there was Apollo Creed. After that, my, you know, my, my knowledge kind of gets pretty thin for creeds. I don't have a lot, but there's, there's tons of great creeds that you can recite and pull into that. Another thing, too, for a lot of our contemporary churches is we can pull in written prayers. We love to do spontaneous prayers, but if I hear, I know, Father God, Father God, Father God, too many times I start to tune out. I just tune out because it doesn't sound like somebody's thought through what they want to say. Spontaneous has its place, but so does an intentionality in terms of writing what you want to say. So for churches that are highly, highly contemporary, think through, maybe you know, we're going to pause and we're going to be, and the person whoever's on stage is actually going to read what they wrote, and they're going to have some forethought to it and not just be in the moment. Uh, those are a couple ways in which to do it. Um, the, other, the other way in which um, I'd encourage more contemporary churches as they're looking at leveraging um, elements, um, I would say probably the big one is um, leveraging hymns. And even if you modify them and then you update them, the nice thing about hymns is when you come down to it, they're so full of a great tradition behind it. But oftentimes when we sing the hymns, we don't know what that background is. We just get it and we sing it. I had a, a worship uh, team member of mine, young guy, unchurched, and he said, uh, you know, it's, hymns are so foreign that in between services and when we were announcing we had hymns, he said, hey, man, you, can, we, can we just be... Um, gender neutral when we talk about the song. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, if we're going to introduce it, let's introduce it. You know, we got some hymns and we got some hers. And he was straight up being honest. He had never heard the term hymns wow. before. <laughs> and it was such an outside element, such a traditional element. He was so foreign to it. So he didn't even know of the type of music of a hymn, let alone the backstory behind him. We have the classics, right? You have Amazing Grapes, which was written from a slave trader. And someone's saying, hey, I'm I've turned from this life. Um, I, was, I was dead, I'm alive, I was blind, and now I see. And what a revelatory story to, to speak into that. And we all have, we've all have um, rot and sin and terribleness in our background that God's called us out of into something more beautiful. And to take those hymns and give that backstory before you jump into them also roots people in tradition beyond what's happening, what's in the top 40 that week. It pulls them hymns, prayers, creeds, it pulls them back into a tradition that is much older than themselves and roots them into something much bigger than their daily devotional. So those are a couple key ways in which I'd encourage traditional churches to tap into contemporary and contemporary churches to tap into traditional elements. That's really interesting. And as you said, it has to be something where people can relate to it, where you could reach them, either it's the stained glass or hymns. They don't even know what a hymn is. And just this week, I was talking to somebody, and they said they have faith, but they have a difficult time with the concept of the Trinity. And I retold the story of St. Patrick and how he told the Trinity to ancient Irish people. 
And it's the, the shamrock is the symbol of Ireland. Everybody knows this. And that's how he taught them. They said, well, how could there be three beings and it's one being? So he just held up the shamrock, the clover, and said, there's three leaves, but there's one plant. Bang. And that's, that's how they got it. And it, it was the fastest spreading of Christianity in the Western world. And that's, it, they embraced it so much, they made it the national symbol. And that's something, you're not going to change something in America or anywhere else in the world to make it their national symbol, but you can reach a church or an individual being and tell them something important that relates to them. Yeah, when, when it comes to creativity in the service and in the sermon in particular, there's a couple, of, you know, this is, this is not new by any stretch of the imag- imagination, but most preachers, when they come towards the scripture and they're developing, they'll start with the scripture um, and then they may have a, a story um, and then they may have um, some type of um, action step beyond that. One of the things I find a lot of communicators missing out on as they're preparing is a symbol. What is something that's going to visually remind people what you're talking about? I was preaching on uh, Hebrews 4:16. We have a great high priest that we can go to at any point. We have complete access. And I made the comparison I was talking to about, you know, the, the audience is maybe a little more boomers. And I, I said, hey, does anyone remember Adam West? And does anyone remember the Gordon, uh, the, the commissioner, the phone he had to access Batman at any point, right? <laughs> and so I had a red phone with me on stage. And I hey, we, to the same degree as the commissioner was able to access this Cape Crusader, we too can access our Cape Crusader. He's, he's not Don and he's not robed in spandex and high boots. He's He's in a robe of righteousness, and he's riding on a white horse, and he has lightning coming from his eyes. And at any point when we need to access him, we pick up that phone, and we can call. People, they don't remember what I said. They remember that phone, and then they remember what I said. And so for me, those symbols are super powerful, be it digital ones that we're putting on the screen behind us, or physical ones that we have and engaging the audience with as well. Absolutely. They'll remember the symbol. And just again, with the the stained glass, that's why you have it. It's something visual, something they can take to their own mind and their hearts, and they'll remember it forever. There's probably, and I I know we're probably wrapping up here, but one, there's probably a couple of caveats that I encourage people as we're here at this conference, as we're here at this expo, as we're thinking about our church services moving forward. How do we do this well? I remember the scene from Star Wars. It's a trap. There's a couple of traps that we'd be helpful to identify so that we don't step into them. There's two key traps. The first one I'd say is the, the curse of comparison. We used to, pre-pandemic, uh, we used to compare ourselves with a church down the street. You know, the guys and the girls that were maybe twice as big as us. And we'd see what they're doing, and uh, we got to kind of step up to what they're doing. And we, we'd had that comparison. Post-COVID, we all jumped online and saw what everyone else was doing across the nation. And now we're not comparing ourselves with people twice as big as us. We're comparing ourselves to churches 22 times bigger than who we are. And that comparison is going to crush us. It's good for inspiration. It's good to dip in the well, jump on your IG feed, see what everyone else is doing on Sunday morning. But if you go to that well too often, it will be a well of poison and not of inspiration. So that's the first one. Watch out for the curse of comparison. And the second one, and the last one I'd say, is to to watch one-upmanship. At the end of the day, you got 52 weeks over the course of the year. you got to pace yourself. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And if you're trying to one-up yourself every week and get a little bit and do something, you know, we, we had a drum line this past week. Oh, great, what are we going to do this week? Okay, let's pull a saxophone player. We don't have any Scottish people in our audience. Don't worry, let's pull a saxophone. And then what are we going to do week after week after week? That is going to run you into the ground. And so what are Sundays where you're like, this is, this is a regular Sunday. And, and in fact, 
we are not going to overproduce it and overcreate it because we want to give God room for him to do something special. And this isn't on our shoulders. Hey, he calls us to use our mind and our skill set, and we're going to do that. Sometimes we're going to say, God, we're empty. But in our weakness, we're going to see your strength this weekend. And we don't feel that need to one-up ourselves again and again because we are actively relying on you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Turn in next time for the best production takeaways from CFX podcasts in 2023, featuring myself and Carl Barnhill. Thanks again for listening. I'm Gene Lass, editor of Worship Facility.